At a Shabbat dinner, there are usually multiple courses of food. First come the salads or salatim, then maybe soup or fish, then the chicken, sometimes after that beef, and finally, at the end, an overly indulgent dessert. Yet, for me, the part of the meal which tastes the best occurs at the very beginning, when you eat the ceremonial challah and drink the glass of wine for kiddush. I drink wine all the time, and I live in Germany, so I get to eat the best bread in the world regularly. Yet, when I eat the Shabbat challah and drink the Shabbos wine, it is a different experience altogether. Every week it is, in short, the best bread and the best wine I have ever tasted in my life. And these simple dishes, bread and wine, end up tasting better than the expensive gourmet foods which will later make their appearance. My theory as to why simple bread and simple wine taste so good in this moment is because they are infused with ritual and ceremony. Before you can raise the glass of wine to your lips and let the silky tannins of an Israeli Shiraz splash onto your tongue, you need to partake in an elaborate ritual which combines familiarity, mystery, and anticipation. You must hold the glass, recite a few hymns, and carefully follow the blessing so as not to miss your part in the performance. For the challah, you must first engage in a ceremonial purification of the hands in which you rhythmically pour water from a basin over each hand. When you return to the table, the leader of the meal recites the blessing, sprinkles salt all over the bread, slices up the loaf with a long knife, and steadily passes a portion to each guest. The bread and the wine are the same as they've always been, but the elaborate, orchestrated, and yet wholly familiarized rituals allow these unremarkable foods to transcend into nectar. society, ritual has a negative connotation. This is because rituals are fundamentally irrational. That is what makes them rituals, after all. And because our society has still not escaped the clutches of the European Enlightenment, rituals continue to be, at best, underappreciated, and at worst, scorned. But it was not always this way. In ancient societies, Rituals were often an integral part of everyday life. Arguably, in ancient societies, rituals were not just a part of the culture, rituals were the culture. Everything, meals, prayers, greetings, oaths, weddings, feasts, hunts, sacrifices, 
births, and medical treatments were defined by ritual. Accordingly, we ought to be more than a bit concerned that this quintessential aspect of human existence has been stripped from us in the modern era. We might wonder whether our psyches feel the lack of ritual in our lives today and, as a result, rebel. This was a question Freud took up in his 1907 essay, Obsessive Acts and Religious Practices. Freud observed what we would call today obsessive-compulsive behavior. Freud writes in this essay, quote, The neurotic ceremonial consists of little prescriptions, performances, restrictions, and arrangements in certain activities of everyday life, which have to be carried out always in the same or in a methodically varied way. These performances make the impression that they are mere formalities. They appear quite meaningless to us, nor do they appear otherwise to the patient himself. Yet he is quite incapable of renouncing them, for every neglect of the ceremonial is punished with the most intolerable anxiety, which forces him to perform it instantly." Unquote. Freud then gives the following examples of this ritualistic behavior. Quote, in the bed ceremonial, the chair must stand in a particular place by the bed, and the clothes must be folded and laid upon it in a particular order. The coverlet must be tucked in at the bottom, and the bedclothes evenly spread. The pillows must be arranged in such and such a manner, and the body must lie in a particular position. Only when all is correct is it permissible to go to sleep." Unquote. Freud then notes how these neurotic rituals demonstrate an uncanny resemblance to ancient religious rituals. The difference, however, for Freud, is that ancient religious rituals were lofty, communal, and awe-inspiring, whereas the modern rituals of a neurotic are quirky, if not humdrum, occur in isolation, and are even denigrating. Freud writes, quote, The little details of religious ceremonies are full of meaning and are understood symbolically, while those of neurotics seem silly and meaningless. In this respect, an obsessional neurosis furnishes a tragicomic travesty of a private religion." Unquote. However, Freud is not done. He argues that, in fact, neurotic rituals are really just a transmutation of ancient religious rituals. Indeed, he writes that modern obsessive acts are throughout and in all their details full of meaning but that we just are not privy to what this meaning is. Only the unconscious of the neurotic can know that. Freud, who we might mention was an avowed atheist, sees ancient religious rituals as just as crippling, guilt-driven, and in short, neurotic as present-day compulsions. For example, Freud sees both religious rituals and compulsive rituals as instances of protective measures. Both of these rituals, ancient religious and modern secular, aim to guard against a god or a universe which will punish you for enjoying impulsive, animalistic desires, such as, for example, sex. In short, Freud does not see neurotic rituals as a distortion or a corruption of ancient religious rituals. He sees both as equally screwed up and, well, neurotic. 
We have come to learn, however, that Freud could sometimes be wrong. And I would argue that here he throws the baby out with the bathwater. The baby is the comfort and elevation which comes from religious rituals, and the bathwater is the torment and denigration which generally accompanies modern neurotic rituals. Recent psychological studies, in fact, seem to bear this out as well. In 2013, Scientific American published an article entitled, Why Rituals Work, There Are Real Benefits to Rituals, Religious or Otherwise. In this article, Scientific American showed that, in the context of sports, superstitious rituals enhanced people's confidence in their abilities, motivated greater effort, and improved subsequent performance. In general, the article contended, rituals reduce anxiety and increase people's confidence to pursue high-pressure tasks and to alleviate grief. And this is true even for people who believe that rituals don't work. Research studies at Harvard and the University of Minnesota have shown other benefits of rituals. Rituals can help us to feel more in control, to be more present and mindful of our experiences. For example, one study showed how participants who performed a ritual before eating a chocolate bar enjoyed the chocolate more than those who simply ripped open the chocolate bar and started eating. The former participants broke the chocolate bar in half without removing the wrapper, then unwrapped only half of the bar and ate it before unwrapping the other half and eating it. The Haftarah for this week comes from the book of Ezekiel, chapter 43. It describes the temple service and the way animal sacrifices were made on the altar of incense. Ezekiel describes the service in painstaking detail. According to the late chief rabbi of the British Empire, Joseph Herman Hertz, quote, no detail of the ceremony is too small for Ezekiel to be delineated with passionate care, unquote. Hertz continues, Ezekiel lays the greatest stress on the correctness of temple ritual and service. Here are some examples from the Haftarah reading where you can see how much exactitude Ezekiel brings in his instructions on the temple service. Ezekiel writes this about the measurements of the altar in the temple. Quote, These are the measures of the altar by cubits. The bottom of the altar shall be one cubit and shall be the breadth of one cubit. The hearth shall be four cubits, and from the hearth and upward there shall be four horns." Unquote. Ezekiel writes this about the actual animal sacrifice. You shall take the blood of a young calf and dash it onto the four horns on the altar. Then you shall take the animal and burn it outside of the temple. On the second day, you shall offer a goat without blemish to be sacrificed purifying the altar in the same way as with the calf. You shall then offer a calf and a ram, both without blemish, and present them before God. The priests shall then cast salt upon them, and they shall offer them up for a burnt offering to the Lord. As you read this passage from Ezekiel, you might ask yourself, why does the altar need to be this exact amount of cubits? Why must there be four horns on the altar rather than, say, three, or ten, or none? And why the salt? In short, why must everything be done in this highly specific, exacting way? 
Yet, these questions betray the thinking of a culture still caught in the stranglehold of the European Enlightenment. What underlies all of these questions is the premise of rationality. Nothing about the temple service was rational or makes much outward sense. The choice of four horns or four cubits is at best symbolic and at worst entirely arbitrary. But that is exactly what rituals are, symbolic, arbitrary, and senseless. And yet, somehow they work. I believe that Freud's argument on rituals, at least as I understand it, was based on a faulty assumption. Freud presumed that rituals are, in their senselessness, by definition, neurotic and self-lacerating. With this assumption, it was easy for Freud to throw both modern-day rituals and ancient religious rituals under the same hat, seeing both as clear manifestations of neuroses. The religious neuroses of the ancient world simply took on a new guise in a post-religious society. Some rituals, in my opinion, indeed are neurotic and superstitious and motivated largely by fear. But, as I said earlier, Freud threw out the baby with the bathwater. Because, as I see it, rituals came into being not necessarily out of irrational fear of the wrath of God. Rather, they came into being as a way of elevating our everyday experience and allowing our lives to feel more purposeful and magical. It could be that neurotic rituals of the modern human are not a resurfacing of previous neuroses from a religious era. Rather, religious rituals with their fanfare and pomp and beauty were a much-needed nourishment for the human soul in the triviality and emptiness of the everyday. The fact that overanxious and phobic rituals exist in the modern world is evidence that our culture has been deprived deprived of the meaningfulness which religious rituals used to infuse our lives with. In short, whereas Freud saw history repeating itself, I see history lashing out. In writing this episode, I realized that I had to make a distinction between habit and ritual. All week I asked myself, what is the difference between habit and ritual? Then, while doing yoga yesterday, the answer came to me. There is no difference. If you do a habit with exactitude, then it is, essentially, a ritual. And the more exact the habit becomes, the more it can be seen as a ritual. Therefore, I would like to recommend you, as my life tip, to take a walk. And not just any walk. I would like you to try to walk like Kant. Every evening in Königsberg, Kant went out for a walk. He went out at the exact same time each evening, 7 p.m. He was so punctual that his neighbors would literally be able to use Kant as their clock and set their watches to his constitutional. Kant took the exact same route every evening, passing the same houses and the same pubs, crossing over the same bridges. His walk was so precise that people in the town would camp out at particular locations when they knew he would be there so that they could greet the legendary professor. It is great to take a walk, but many will reject the notion of taking the same walk at the same time each day 
because it is irrational. I should just take a walk whenever I feel like it, they might reason. But if you take that approach, while you still get the benefits of a walk for its own sake, you deprive yourself of the joy of ritual. Now, not everyone can be as precise as Kant and take a walk exactly at 7 p.m. each night. Maybe you start by just taking a walk every morning or every Saturday afternoon or after dinner. But remember, the more detail and precision we bring into our walk, the more we will satisfy our ancient need and our modern longing for religious ritual.